I just had a, a, a brutal 10, hour, 10 and a half hour day today, closer to 11 hours, I think, really. I'm not going to retime it like some kind of speed runner. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was hard. It was hard on my feet and my knees and my back. I've been wearing these knee braces. They've been helping a lot. But I'll tell you what I was thinking the entire time I was doing my job today. This is so much better than working at Starbucks. And it's not just that it pays more. It is also so much more rewarding to do your entire day's work and not have a single person yell at you about a pump of syrup. Oh my God, what a relief. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. No, it's... And the, the micromanaging and the, like, intense procedural... Like, cause if you do one step out of order, you... Uh, you know, get talked to and coached yeah. on things. Um, coached, well, oh yeah. And and I mean, I haven't worked there, but I've seen some of the stuff that workers have posted now with like mm-hmm. online ordering being such a thing where people will order the most ridiculous fucking like long dr- things that have like 25 steps to make the drink. Something that like just basic human decency, I think, would prevent the vast majority of people from ordering if you had to right. do it in person. But when they can just do it online, they'll just go hog wild and be like, you got to put everything in there in the right order. Yeah. I'm going to yell at you. Yeah, well, and there, you can't even fit it all in the cup sometimes. Uh, the orders are generally, those are those are free coffees because customers have like earned free coffees with oh. whatever additions. And so then it costs them nothing to put 25 or 30 items on the on the cup. Yeah, we had a lady uh, when I worked at Starbucks who would come in and she would get black coffees until she had her free drink. And then she'd redeem her free drink for like a small black coffee in a large cup with like a dozen shots of espresso added. And then she'd put it (laughs) over ice and we wouldn't see her again for a while. And then she'd come back in and start going through her black coffees again. At least pulling like a ton of shots is less of a big deal than having to go back and forth between like blenders and doing all the fucking freezy drink shits. No, yeah, this this woman, this customer was like right on the line between like, yes, you're a pain in my ass, but I also admire you trying to juice this system for everything (laughs) you can fucking get out of it. So like no ill will towards that person. But you do see people do it with like 19 pump white mocha extra frap chip hot latte whipped cream blended in and all this shit. (laughs) It's like blend a brownie into it, and we have to. Starbucks is like blend the brownie, asshole. <laughs> well, but speaking yeah. of of juicing the system, that's right. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, speaking of juicing the system, let's do the intro. Welcome, everybody, to yet another episode of Work Stoppage, your favorite Starbucks commentary podcast. <laughs> we are entirely listener-supported, so thank you for any money you might be throwing us on Patreon. If you're not in the Discord already, that's the free thing, so you should definitely do that. And leave us a five-star review wherever you think it would help. If you could etch it into a stone tablet to be found by a future civilization, <laughs> I think that would really go a long way. So. You could you could tie it to your car battery when you throw it into the ocean to recharge the electric. <laughs> 
electric eels. Getting my right. noggin jogging. <laughs> really using <laughs> using your noodle with that one. Well, uh, we're going to talk, as we always are seemingly right now, about Starbucks a little bit because there has been a rash of firings of Starbucks employees who, hmm, coincidentally, were major players or otherwise involved in unionization campaigns. And the reasons given by the Starbucks Corporation for these firings is a series of infractions so minor that some of them are actually encouraged by management most of the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Um, So one of the things that gets me about this is that somehow they've managed to fire seven, count them, seven, more than you have fingers on one hand, people (laughs) in one day. Because they, they, they all managed to commit these egregious infractions at once. And for some reason, that's cool. Not union busting, according to Starbucks. Though there are some pretty strong pushes. I think there's a, 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 an injunction or whatever the word is for like a, a piece of paper that says you need to uh, get these people back to work as soon as possible. Because this is a very clear violation. Do not let this take months. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that and there's a there's a, like a little video of a manager going over all of the different policies like people going behind the bar people being allowed to go into the back room because they might have stuff there or they might have to use the work computer uh they were fired for that they were fired uh what was there there was another one in here I well mean, they they let people into the store and the company, Starbucks claimed, oh, they let customers in after we closed, except that the store normally closes at 8. And on that day, the store closed early at 6, but didn't tell anyone that they mm-hmm. were closing at 6. And so these workers who, again, I, I appreciated that the, that former manager in that video you were referencing explained that Starbucks has a policy of if customers try to come to you know the location within 10 minutes of closing, that the general policy is to let them in and serve them. And mm-hmm. so this was like well before the normal 8 p.m. close time. And so these workers who had just come in to, you know, check on something thought, oh, well, you know, we can let these people in and give them their latte or whatever they want right. and it'll be no problem. Right. So well, it's not like, so it's not against policy, but also think about that, folks. They have a policy of letting customers come in 10 minutes after close. You know how many memes we've seen about worker mm-hmm. or about like customers coming in 5 minutes before close yeah. causing people all sorts of grief? <laughs> these are the, well, these are the kind of conditions that Starbucks wants to put people through. Right. And it, it's just a sliding scale of like you have minor infractions at the most severe end, which is like going behind the bar while you're not punched in, which is like something that happens all the time. Again, often encouraged by management uh, during normal business practices. And then, like you said, letting customers in 10 minutes after close or when they're confused about when the hours are is not only not against guidelines, but it follows them. And when you work for Starbucks, any hours that the store is open, you are allowed in that back room. The former manager made this very clear in the video, but I want to reiterate it. It's like, you work there. <laughs> That's where the schedule is. That's mm-hmm. where all the information is. That's where the special Starbucks portal is that has a lot of features that you can't access from your home computer or phone. Yeah, and it's like locked. Yes. And it's uh, it, it's just absolute derangement. I mean, I think we're beating a dead horse at this point, but it is 100% yeah. without a doubt union busting. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. And, and so like, as you mentioned, like Lena, the like, Workers United has, of course, filed a like unfair labor practice charge against Starbucks and is you know Im- imploring the the NLRB to resolve this quickly. But I, I mean, I don't think 
I don't think Star like I think Starbucks's whole oh well this was because of company policy like I don't I don't think they have any illusion that they're gonna you know trick the NLRB I think it's I it's they, it's just they can't an, even trick the local news the conservative <laughs> yeah. local news so there's right. local news programs that are reporting on this so like they never report on labor but now they're reporting on this Starbucks in Memphis. Yeah, it's just so egregious. And Starbucks maybe is in a weird way not helped right now by the fact that they have this like liberal progressive image, because even though supporting unions goes against everything conservatives stand for, especially they can't help but gotcha a liberal company when they fuck up. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the thing is, and I like kind of I posted about this on Twitter, but I feel like this is really just. It just shows the calculation that Starbucks is making, which right. their their assessment is, yeah, the NLRB will clearly rule against us on this and say this was you know unfair retaliation and union busting. But by the time they get any sort of relief, we will have been able to disrupt the efforts of these folks to unionize the store and intimidate any other workers at there and hire new people and screw with the union drive effort so that it'll be irreparably damaged uh, so that no matter what the NLRB rules, that it'll still work out in the company's favor. And like, I, you know, to, to assess that, I, I do think that for most companies, big or small, because we, this is not like this is a particularly egregious and particularly public example of this. But we see this exact sort of shit all the time across the board. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, fucking Family Dollar will just straight up fire entire staffs if if they come if they even talk about unionizing, they'll close the whole goddamn store. Like, I was surprised that they went through all the procedures of writing me up three times in a week or two to to fire <laughs> me. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, that's the thing about Starbucks that makes this particularly stark is if you have any experience with their business model, if you've ever worked for them or paid attention to how they operate, they simply don't summarily fire you for anything less egregious than like theft. You basically right. have to be taking money out of the register to get instant Insta fired. Yeah. yeah. And like they did mention that like a couple of the employees that were fired were for like, quote, cash handling violations but not again not theft and the the manager in that video pointed out that those workers were like brand new hadn't been trained in like starbucks's particular cash handling procedures and so whatever mistakes they made were ultimately you know the fault of their supervisor in the first place usually what that is is it's i think it's making tips out of the or making making change out of the tip jar mm. when your when your drawer is like not able to accommodate a, a, a customer's request again that's something you, we did all the, the, mo- time. the most common thing that that would be that violation and again something I did all the time and that my manager told me to do many, many, many times. And, and so I do think that this is that, that, that calculation that Starbucks made that, yeah, we'll get called this out as illegal, but what, who cares what they tell us to rehire these people or pay some back pay. Cause the, again, like labor law in the U S has no teeth whatsoever. Like the mm-hmm. worst punishment for Starbucks in this is like, they back have to wages. give somebody they have to rehire people, pay some back pay, and get a little bit of bad press. Like, and they're not gonna—they're not gonna make them voluntarily recognize the union, right? The the one thing that I do or think, involuntarily, I should say. Well, right. The thing though that I do think is going to be interesting to see, and I think may have is the real gamble in Starbucks's calculation. 
is that if they if if they had done this at the first store in Buffalo, I think they might have got away with it. Right. But now that this shit is a this is movement, store number sixty almost. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, there is already a big, you know, GoFundMe and a, like a big fundraiser that's already raised quite a bit of money, and we'll absolutely throw that in the show notes so folks can help these uh, these folks who were fired for unionizing out. But like, this is this made ABC like national news last mm-hmm. night. So, and, and again, as you said, like. The news does not like covering labor, as we talked about before. The ISA does not want to talk about workers' rights issues. And so... Speaking of ISAs, I mean, we just (laughs) unlocked a Patreon episode, so go and check out The Nature of the State and uh, become a patron to get the rest of those. That's uh, right. But that's the thing, is that like now that there are so many of these stores that are going through this process, and... Which is again, like to the absolute huge credit of of the Workers United movement and the folks that are actually building this as a real rank and file union. Like, I think there's a pretty solid chance that this backfires. Like, not because of the NLRB, not because of anything the state's going to do, not because of that, but just because like you've got enough workers now in this movement that like through you know collective power and hmm. solidarity. We can actually support these folks. And I right. wonder if it's going to encourage other people to be like, wow, Starbucks is fucked up. What if we unionize? <laughs> right. <laughs> Damn, what if all the Tim Hortons and all of the, the what's the one we have around here, Busby, Bixby coffee? Big, yeah, and the, or the Caribou's, all the you know, yeah. regional coffee chains. Yeah, and then, oh, boom, unionize coffee. Cumberland Farms. Industry-wide <laughs> bargaining, yeah. Well, but, um, yeah, let's we yeah we'll, we know we'll keep that the an news on this one. We know <laughs> that the news doesn't like to cover labor in general, but let's talk about something the news really doesn't like to cover: Puerto Rico, a place <laughs> that belongs to the United States, but is commonly regarded by most Americans as a tourist destination that they instantly forget about. But it is one of our persistent colonies where we still enact direct colonial rule, like we do mm-hmm. in a few places. And uh, thousands of teachers have gone on strike there to a fanfare of exactly no media coverage from the major outlets. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had like I found one story about this in, in NBC News and everything else was in all these like papers that I like never use for anything on here. Yeah. Um, Stories like just, this are when you discover a bunch of random Trotskyite papers from Florida yeah. that actually have pretty good coverage. <laughs> well, it's like while we talked about the trucker strike in Puerto Rico uh, several months back, which, again, mm-hmm. got like everyone instantly forgot about and there was no coverage of whatsoever. Um and this is not bec- like this didn't get no coverage because it was a small strike or it was just a strike in in one city right. like th- this is more similar in scale to the teacher strike we talked about in France a couple of episodes because the the Puerto Rico Department of Education this was on Friday the the 4th said that the teacher strike had sh- had had basically shut down seventy percent of all the the classrooms because that's how many of the teachers were out demonstrating against their awful conditions. That's pretty good. Yeah. So and, uh, these teachers are striking over cost of living, uh, food, power, water, and fuel, which have all risen steeply. And as we know, uh, teacher salaries. 
uh, even in places with very, very high costs of living, are not very much. And then also the complete almost lack of aid from the rest of the United States from the U.S. PROMESA board um, yeah. in the wake of uh, Hurricane Maria. Yeah, so just some some background for our listeners who understandably may not understand the governing situation in Puerto Rico because, as you said, like the U.S. never likes to talk about it because there's that little inconvenient fact that it is a, you know, com- it's a colony with with no self-determination. Right. Um, the island was was forced to declare bankruptcy after years of predatory policies, like, pushed by the U.S. Uh, several, like, this was back during the Obama administration. And they passed this, Congress passed an act to reorganize the finances of the government, basically by putting into power a junta, like, where there's this board, which is called by the acronym PROMESA, that is set up by Congress and that the people of of Puerto Rico have no control over and essentially just gets to rule Puerto Rico by fiat. And and like they get to decide what money is allowed to be spent, what state salaries end up being and what industries are privatized. Exactly. Like since hurricane Maria, Promesa has rapidly accelerated its process of privatizing as much of the island as possible. You following, you know, what most folks may have uh, heard of before as the shock doctrine, basically capitalism taking advantage of crises in order to hollow out states services under the guise of efficiency. This has particularly in Puerto Rico devastated their electricity supply because Previously, the island's electricity was supplied by a state-run power company. And now it's been largely privatized, which means that even like though Hurricane Maria was years ago now, there are still parts of the island that don't get reliable electricity because everything's been farmed out to like whichever private company was able to bribe members of Congress to get the PROMESA board to give them a contract. Right. And so as a result of this complete colonial domination of the economy it's made it you know extremely there's no ability for actual puerto rican citizens to have a redress of their grievances like even less than the fake bourgeois democracy that we have here uh where at least sometimes politicians have to pretend to respond to protest and so as you were mentioning like the we know that teachers are incredibly you know, mistreated and abused here in the mainland U.S. And that's no different in in Puerto Rico, where specifically the the big thing, like they're they're protesting over you know rising cost of living and the and the, the awful working conditions, but it's also just that they are just not paid shit. Like right now, the teachers in Puerto Rico, which again is part of the United States, like they mm-hmm. don't have any self determination, but like Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens. That's not another country. It should be, they, but like they should be given their you know autonomy as well as massive reparations for U.S. Mm-hmm. colonial extraction. Um, but right now, these teachers are only paid seventeen hundred and fifty dollars a month, which, if you work that out, is about twenty one thousand dollars a year, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's disgustingly low. Yeah, and so what prompted the the protests this on Friday specifically? Like there have been rolling protests from various sectors in Puerto Rico for, I mean, a long time now. Like we we mentioned that the trucker strike, there there have been all sorts of protests, but 
Specifically, just this past week, there was a new updated financial plan like passed by the Promesa board to try and, you know, resolve the, the island's uh, financial issues. Again, without the input of the Puerto Rican people whatsoever. And it does include a salary increase for teachers all the way up to the wonderful salary of $2,200 a month or $26,400 a year. Which is pretty short of what the teachers have been demanding of a salary of forty two k a year, uh, which is thirty five hundred a month. Yeah, um, which you know that's just you know classic bargaining in bad faith. You know they're just going to give you whatever the lowest amount that they think they can get away with is. Well, and I mean it, it's probably it's not pretty bargaining. E- I guess I should say. Well, and it's probably pretty easy for this ruling junta to be like, oh, you want double, you know, what we're going to pay you. How about you take this compromise instead? Meanwhile, the fact that the teachers have to ask for their salaries to be doubled in the first place should show you how, like, pathetically low they are relevant to the amount of work that goes into their jobs. Yeah, and... And of course, like, you know, we, we see the press here vilify teachers as, you know they they'll try and talk about them i mean there's the right wing press that talks about them indoctrinating kids with woke marxism or whatever the bullshit terminology they're using now is but it's it's always weird to 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 hear like people talk about like the teachers unions is like big labor and they're just greedy and lazy and they only <laughs> they only work 3 seasons out of the year These meanwhile they're thugs. like having to to protest to get a salary of $42,000 a year which i'm like I'm like, yeah, that's a starter demand. I mean, I feel like yeah. you deserve a hell of a lot more than that. I mean, teachers yeah. are one of those industries that like we've been able to devalue so much. Like people are like, oh, why are they paid so little? They're so essential. And it's like, that's why they're paid yeah. so little is because we can get away with with stripping away their protections and stripping away their wages over time because people are still going to want to be teachers. You know, it's a hard job, but like it is a job a lot of people aspire to. And we shouldn't be, you know, we should be fighting back against the weaponization of that um, as a way to suppress their wages. One of my favorite things from this story and by favorite, I kind of mean least favorite is the governor who uh, limited the uh, who, you know, is not even able to do a ton because of the congressional junta, but uh, said that he respects the right of teachers to protest and fight for higher salaries, but demands that teachers return to the classroom for the sake of the students. It's just like, <laughs> then you don't respect the protest. Like, you can't say one thing and then totally say that, you know, they need to get back into the classroom and end this strike. Like, that's, that's, that is a disrespect of the protest. No, it's the same thing that we see with the nurses, well, where they'll concern mm-hmm. troll about the quality of care during a, a nurse's strike. And the, the easy, short, and correct answer to that is, if you care about the patients, pay the nurses more. Same deal here. If you care about the students, give the teachers what they're asking for. It's not even that much. Yeah. That's right. I mean, in their statement, to the in a letter that the, the Teachers Association wrote to the governor, it, saying that the bankruptcy can't be continue to be used as an excuse, they, they even just said straight up, quote, do you think a teacher can live on the misery he earns and at the end of his days not even have a dignified retirement? Damn. <laughs> and like that's the thing. It's like, yeah, you you're trying to make these people live on fucking 25k a year? Like I know that yeah, this like the 
I don't know what the difference in standard living uh, of living is in in Puerto Rico compared to like the mainland U.S. But I guarantee you, twenty six k is not enough fucking money because no. they pointed out from a couple of these people that so many of these teachers, like teachers here in the U.S., have to work a second or sometimes even third job just to make ends meet. And as you were saying, it's like. If you actually want the kids to get an education, and of course we know that the big bourgeoisie just wanted to learn just enough to be able to go off and work as you know wage slaves forever. But it's like, you can't, as you said, you can't concern troll about caring about the students if you're not going to pay teachers enough to be able to give them a good education. Yeah, Absolutely. And, I'm, and I'm also getting really fed up with the whole framing of, of cost of living because that's just like the way that a lot of big companies say, like, what is the bare minimum we can do based on these basic calculations? Whereas it doesn't tot- it doesn't actually like uh, bring up what if people are want to get into organizing? What if they need to support their unions or their 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 more their other groups or they're doing community activism? They're feeding people and they need to put their money into those projects. Like what if like these people do other things? things other than work and go home and sleep yeah i mean like. that's the thing is it's like 26k a year is like not enough to live on anywhere in the continental united states and you know like dan said i'm not familiar with like what rent and utilities and other major expenses and shit are like in puerto rico but i know that in places like alaska uh, where they're kind of an afterthought on many logistics routes. People pay, you know, $12 for a loaf of bread and $16 for a gallon of milk. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if it was a similar situation in Puerto Rico, both because of the the lack of, like, logistical priority and also probably because there's a relatively racialized element happening there, too, where mm-hmm. the the... U.S. government sees the Puerto Ricans as an underclass that they can ruthlessly exploit both at their workplace and at, you know, consumer locations like stores and, uh, you know, anything like that afterwards as well. And in schools, apparently. Well, let's, uh, let's hope these teachers get at least, you know, some, something closer to, you know, what their demands are met or even better, everything they ask for. But, um, in the meantime, we can go to additional, you know, uh, attempts to just like disenfranchise workers uh, here, actually, just all over the country, with a G- we usually don't cover bills. We don't. We're not, not much of a you know. Oh, what's going on in the Congress kind of podcast usually. But this one in particular <laughs> is one of the most egregious uh, examples of anti la- uh, anti labor like legislation that I've seen since the previous push for right to work in every single state legislature. Yeah, I mean, well, this this combined with um, the way Republicans are pushing for cannabis legalization in Pennsylvania right now is making me start to think that there's a broad pattern here where the ruling class has said, like, fuck it, it's not even worth having the Democrats water down the legislation anymore. Let's just have Republicans propose a perverse version of it <laughs> and bada bing, bada boom, we're done. Yeah. yeah. So this is a, a a labor reform bill that's meant to change some of the rules in the um in basically in the NLRA, but of what the NLRB does, and uh, basically going back to something that we might know from far back in history, something known as company unions, where the company mm-hmm. sets up a coalition organization of workers, management, and gives workers in a non-voting seat at the at the uh what the the board of directors table or whatever it is oh, uh, basically providing them no power at all yeah like 
I, I do kind of consciously tend to avoid putting stuff about legislation in here because, uh, I mean, usually it's there's a lot of fanfare about bills and then nothing fucking happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't actually think this one's going to get passed, but the discourse around it was so frustrating because of how disingenuous like all the right wing people supporting it have been that I felt like we really should talk about it because like, this is the language. This is, this was proposed by Marco Rubio. And this was his like language that he put out there when he was like introducing it. He said, quote, the vast majority of working Americans go to work every day to earn a living and provide for their families. Not because they want to participate in the latest woke workplace trend. <laughs> I want to put citations in- needed next to majority <laughs> of working Americans. <laughs> yeah. In reality, many American workers are sick and tired of being subjected to radical company policies and would gra- gladly trade in their diversity workshop for a discussion on benefits or flexibility. Our bill solves this problem by creating a pro-worker alternative to unions, which are notoriously left-wing and almost always pit workers <laughs> against management, wait a minute, only wait a minute. worsening the workplace environment. And I, I don't understand <laughs> how uh, talking about labor conditions is the opposite of diversity. It kind of sounds like he's like, okay, what about unions, but the company organizes them and they're racist. <laughs> yeah, That's what it sounds like. <laughs> I mean, no, that's exactly what it is. Because like you were saying, Lena, this is all this is. This is an attempt to bring back company unions, which are illegal under the NLRA. And they're illegal for a fucking reason. Right. (laughs) Which is that they were used for decades by major companies in the U.S. to head off union organization to put to put up this smoke screen this basically this spy organization that was set up by management to divert people away from union organizing and set up these basically fundamentally class collaborationist and completely toothless organizations that essentially what they would do is you'd have a worker show up and complain and say hey we need to fix this and they would say oh cool well you're fired and then also (laughs) we know this is now we know this is what the workers are going to complain about so we can prepare to fight back against any actual, you know, attempts to improve things and we can get ahead of it. Like, wow, it's like having a DNC in every workplace. <laughs> yeah, like and uh, these things are completely bullshit. Like he talks about them as an alternative to unions, except the whole purpose of the union is that workers individually do not have the same level of power on the job site as the employer. There is a fundamental power imbalance there, and the only way to balance that out is to have the workers come together collectively and bargain over workplace interests because, as we know and as we talk about every episode in this show, the interests of the workers and the interests of the employers are fundamentally at odds. Yep. Like the, And, and cause I, I also think it's important to talk about this because – one of the things that's really unfortunate about the labor movement in the U.S. is that some of the language that Rubio is using here, you might hear from some of the major unions in the U.S. And mm-hmm. sometimes I will see in, in some of the stuff like, hey, we need people to, to, to support unions because when unions work together with management, we make American business work. And it's like, no, <laughs> that's not the right way to frame this. That's not how this works. Like, I understand biz, like unions that you have had gone through decades of decline and assault and vicious like attack within like the U.S. society, but it's none of that changes the fundamental fact 
that workers and bosses have polar opposite interests. There is no such thing as a worker-employer unity organization that actually works for the workers. All it does is prevent workers from exerting their collective power, and that's exactly what this is aiming to do, which is weaken the labor movement and Mm -hmm. not improve it. Well, and I think that this is uh, one of the things that is often used in union busting rhetoric is the idea that like, oh, you're going to get uh, in trouble. You're going to get fined because of the dual carding rules. But the reason why a lot of dual car like anti dual carding stuff is in bylaws is because these uh, company unions existed. And it is a fundamental contradiction between the union's interest, which is the the workers, of course. And and the, I guess these uh, these company unions, there's just like you can't be in both, and yeah. uh, for that reason, they have to put in their bylaws that you can't be in both. Yeah, because it's 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 just it's one of those things. It's it's it, it's as simple as this. It's just the interest of the worker. No matter if you if you're a wage worker, no matter what industry you work in, in your it is in your interest to be paid as much as possible for every hour of your labor. I mean, it's pretty simple mm-hmm. but it is in the capitalist interest to pay as little as possible for labor so that they can extract the most surplus p- value possible there's no way to resolve that contradiction with a handshake like right. no, no nobody in this way. situation is going to stop wanting money right, right? You, that's like that's the thing like do you want money so does your boss you have to fight him for it that's that's the rules like better to do it with friends like yeah, and and ben, they and the people online, especially I think this guy like Owen Cass, I think is his name, is mm-hmm. this fucking like think tank guy, um, was like trying to be like, oh well, people are criticizing this for not being the same as unions, but it provides a, th- a, a requirement that big companies, that which is companies that make over a billion in revenue every year, uh, have to allow workers to choose to elect one, only one non-voting seat on the company board, which, ooh, what a wonderful reward for you. Imagine being the guy who has to sit there and get ignored forever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, imagine being the guy who goes in there and you're sitting at the table and all of the executives are treating you really fucking nice and and taking you out and treating you to things, you know, mm -hmm. buttering you up because you're one person. They can afford to treat you really, really well. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to, as soon as you realize that keeping them happy keeps that happening to you, you can turn around and fuck over your workers because your relationship to the means of production has now changed. And and now John has just explained the problem with the last, you know, 60 years of business unionism. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there was also some, and it's funny because if you get into some of the language that the people are supporting this with, you, if you really look at the what the words they're using are, you can see where it's going because, like, Financial Times was really trying to play this up, and Financial Times is, of course, like the Economist, it, it, the Wall Street Journal. These are ruling class magazines, right? Um, and they had in their article on this, they had quote studies of works councils and board level employee representation have found that they not only increase trust and cooperation, but also enhance productivity, capital formation, market value, and resilience. Huh. What is what isn't on that list that we consistently <laughs> cover on this show? Is it wages, working conditions, uh benefits, any sorts of, you know, time off, paid leave? 
Uh, it seems like that doesn't make it onto the list for some reason. It's almost like the actual purpose is not to improve conditions for workers. Yeah, I mean, I know when I go to bargain with my boss or whenever I'm sitting around complaining with my coworkers about, you know, how things are at work, what I'm usually complaining about is that the company isn't productive enough or isn't doing good enough capital formation. Man, <laughs> just have, having my lunch break and looking over my little microwave burrito at the guy who helps me run like a giant machine that could instantly kill us both if we do something wrong. And I'm like, you ever think about how this company just isn't resilient enough for you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. So, I, I mean, this this is a new version of a bill that the Republicans tried to pass uh, like 25 years ago that got vetoed. I don't even think this is going to get that far. Um, although when the Democrats get smoked in the midterms, maybe they'll bring it up again in a, in a year or two. Um, but like, there's a reason company unions are illegal. And it's not because of woke Democrats or something like that. It's because, honestly, company unions are a key part of old-style fascism. Like, Mm -hmm. they are a way of diverting working-class energy away from class struggle and into class collaborationism. And, like, there's a reason that it's the neo-fascist party that wants to bring that back while pretending that it is a pro-worker reform. Like, I, I know that it's boring and cliche to call the the, the Republicans fascist because, like, uh, you'll see Democrats reduce that to be meaning that then you have to vote for them, which we are absolutely <laughs> not saying. They're just but diet like, fascists. <laughs> no, but not with less this sugar. Is, <laughs> this is just, like, there's a reason every fucking company in... 20s and 30s Italy had had company unions that are just this exact same thing. Like, that's what these things are. They are tools for eliminating class struggle, not for advancing it. And so, like, it, I just, I wanted to put this on here because, like, I think we're going to see as the Democrats continue to just not even pretend to give a shit about the working class. Like, we're going to see more people like Josh Hawley and Matt Gates and Marco Rubio, although his he kind of sucks at this, I think. Like in the Republican <laughs> Party, pretend to give a shit about workers. And of right. course, only a certain shade of worker, but still. And and it's important to know like the bullshit behind the language they're using. They're kind of Andrew Yang in it. They're like yeah. uh yeah. they're like, here's an idea you maybe hadn't thought of that sucks and doesn't fix anything, but will change the course of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, I guess uh, thinking of changing the course of the conversation, we're going to go <laughs> directly enough. into uh, some anti-worker uh, expose from the Target Workers United where they found out that there was a literal script that uh, Target has been using to union bust uh, their unions. And we're going to actually we're going to start with the basics, but then we're going to go through some of the actual claims that their uh, anti-union propaganda arm is is actually uh, putting forward. Well, before before we cover the stuff that's actually in the script, uh, just give me a, a moment of bliss imagining that the script is like a 55-year-old Target store manager walking up in front of a crowd of teenagers and being like, this union shit is certainly not bussin'. Sheesh, you want me to pay dues? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I wish it was that funny. No, it's all in corporate speak. Right, um, right, right. 
But I mean, yeah, like like you were saying, like th- there's been a, an ongoing effort for target workers to try and, and and organize in their workplace, which is it's one. This is one of those campaigns. It's like this is going to be a long, really difficult fight because big box stores like Target, like that's a long haul organizing effort because that's a lot of people. That's a lot of stores, and those that corporation has spent a ton of money keeping unions out of their facility. And I mean, specifically, these workers have been fighting for hazard pay during the pandemic. And Target tried to buy them off with temporary holiday pay, but have, of course, like so many of these companies, refused to actually do long-term hazard pay. Um, and these folks have had to file unfair labor practice charges against them for confiscating flyers about organizing from a break room, which is, of course, a protected thing. If it's a non-work space and they allow you to post anything on a bulletin board, you can post organizing stuff there. And, of course everyone's favorite captive audience meetings to intimidate workers. But the interesting thing about this story is that now we get to see some of the lingo that they're using because a friendly member of management leaked a, the, the actual training that they're sending around to all their managers to try and teach them how to union bust better. And so as you might expect, it goes through a lot of the standard stuff. It, it tells them to, you know, third party, the union, but then it, it just it was really interesting to see some of the actual language. So we're going to go through some of the the specific lines they have in here. Like for instance, quote, they have a slide, and all the slide says the is, first one what is, is the union? one that makes your eyes bleed. Yeah, <laughs> and it just says, quote, a union is a business that makes money from the dues and fees paid by its members. Uh, <laughs> No, <laughs> no, a union is a, an organization of workers that is designed to, you know, give st- power to workers to increase the quality of their work conditions. Yeah. I mean, isn't it funny how uh, these these cosmic brained members of society are able to, to be like a union is a business because money moves through it. But they never <laughs> extend that shit to bourgeois institutions like a homeowners association. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, and then we've got a union can impact a business in several ways. Reduced flexibility and narrowed job descriptions. Increased <laughs> operating costs. Conflict created between management and employees. This is actually just goes back to our last story. Like this, yeah. <laughs> this is exactly like uh, what do they mean by narrow job descriptions? Does that mean that they can't force you to do every single little piece of bullshit, and that you might have a pretty specific job description so that you aren't basically told to do something that isn't in your job description? Uh, what about increased operational costs? <laughs> you, you can just read the word flexibility as responsibility. So when they say decreased flexibility, you can read that as to mean, I would have to do less work for my money. Well, <laughs> and also, oh, they might have to tell me my schedule more than an hour in advance. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> There's yeah, nothing I, I that, like better than a 5 a.m. call on a Monday to tell me when I'm working on a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Those, the Burgerville contract. Uh, but uh, there's uh, increased operational costs. What does that mean? Does that mean workers are paid more? <laughs> oh, <laughs> ke- quel horreur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and conflict created between management employees. I just want to let you know that that exists regardless <laughs> of if there is a union in the workplace or not. There is there is no way to avoid conflict between management employees because management can fucking fire employees. How is that not conflict? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and because because it's not like they're magically waving away some conflict that would just like randomly start up. They are suppressing the contradictions of the workplace is how they avoid conflict. And and so they are, I will say, because Target is, you know, such a big corporation. They do have they, they have clearly had had their lawyers look at this stuff. So they they do in the presentation say, well, this is protected activity and you're not technically allowed to spy on our employees. However, <laughs> they do basically more or less train their managers to spy on their employees by telling them to look out for, quote, subtle signs of dissatisfaction that might <laughs> precipitate union organizing, such as team members emerge as informal leaders by soliciting concerns, speaking on behalf of others, and attempting to influence the team. Huh. And- <laughs> That's just being a good coworker. <laughs> Breakroom conversation topics change from weekend activities, social engagements, and athletic events to pay and benefits plans, job security, seniority systems, and or grievances. What? They're going to talk about grievances? We can't have that. They have grievances. We can't let them talk about it. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and the other one is anti-target conversations are happening on social networking sites. Oh my god, they're gonna fucking Good. trawl through your Twitter feed. I mean, Target is like they've they've proven themselves over and over again to be one of the most like psychopathic companies because like their loss prevention reflects this insane mm-hmm. mentality as well, where they'll let you steal shit until it gets over a hundred dollars so they can hit you with I think it becomes a felony at that point. Yep. And mm-hmm. then they can slap you with a fucking felony charge. And they prosecute every single one at great cost to themselves. Just because they're fucking crazy, I guess. I don't know why. Well, well and, and they, they also spend a shitload of money partnering with local police. Mm-hmm. Like, that was one of the things that was pointed out, uh, I think, in Minneapolis, like, during the, the uprising a couple right. years ago, was that, like, the target there has just been funneling huge amounts of money into the local PD in order to basically serve as extra loss prevention officers for them. Well, yeah. and the target headquarters is in Minneapolis, so oh, there's yeah. additional yeah. contradictions there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's so funny. They're like, now you're not allowed to spy on the employees, but if you go through these loopholes, you can spy on the employees and get away with it. Yeah, <laughs> just showing and, showing all my managers a slide being like, okay, the difference between spying and walking by a conversation over and over. Yeah, and this next one, I just w- stood out to me because of the, the, the actual specific language they used, which was, quote, Early detection and response to the signs of organizing is vital in maintaining a union-free environment. Union-free, like it's some sort of like bacteria that's causing some sort of illness where the workers are, are being able to discuss things and build power and get better working conditions. Ooh, that sounds bad, I guess. No. Oh, I was reading it like union free and i was like sure i'll take one i'd love one (laughs) (laughs) i just the irony to me though of them using the the language early detection and response right while they are fighting a push by the workers to get hazard pay for working during a pandemic (laughs) huh it's like they uh are it's almost like nsa style language like yeah (laughs) these these terrorist union organizers (laughs) Yeah, and then the last one that I picked out in here is our best defense against labor activity is our culture, our team, and our leaders. Culture with a K, classic. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I just think one of the important things to take away from this 
is that like no matter how nice your your supervisor your manager is if they're trying to tell you that unionizing is a bad idea they're probably being nice to you because of a training like this because they've basically tried to weaponize the concept that it costs nothing to be nice like it's very and they they specifically point out in in the training they're like hey if somebody comes to you with a concern apologize because again if if you're like contrite and 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 it seem like you care that doesn't that doesn't entail paying the worker anymore or giving them any more time off or anything so it costs the company nothing and so you like this sort of emotional manipulation is a trained behavior and so it's 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 really important to like understand that going into a a union drive and inoculate your coworkers against it uh, if they apologize for something use that as an as a way of saying that they're admitting they're guilty because uh, <laughs> because they are guilty yeah and and i thought that like target workers unite like they commented in this like piece that they posted and i thought they had it summed up right where they said the training instructs managers that the problem of worker organizing is that it will quote reduce flexibility meaning workers won't be as easily exploited if we regulate our jobs more that we will quote increase operational costs meaning that workers will receive a larger share of the wealth we produce through our labor and less for executives and the major shareholders and create quote conflict between management and employees as if the conflict isn't already present and lopsided in favor of management and the corporation target's philosophy is inherently anti-worker and anti-labor organizing end quote couldn't That's be correct. more correct. So yeah, we uh I mean this stuff sucks and we like big solidarity with the, you know the workers trying to fight through this sort of environment, but I this I just it's really helpful I think to see the sort of training they're giving management because if this stuff is going around at Target, you can expect this exact same stuff going around at basically every big company that hires anti-union like consultants. And so right. like if mm-hmm. we know that this that these are the tactics they're using, we can be prepared for them. Yeah, they're all, all they're all just like the same anti the anti union like union busting firms. They're basically all the same, just with certain levels of notoriety. You know, I mean, we we talk about like Gerlitler Mendelssohn, but there's you know a bunch of other ones. The, In fact, I think is it the next story? Yeah, labor. Yeah, is that is it our next story or the last story where we actually get to talk about two ones that we haven't necessarily got to profile yet? It might be the story after this next one, which is um, about. Amy's Kitchen Workers, which oh. is basically like a another one of these woke businesses. It's your your no evil foods. It's your uh, Hello Fresh style style business where they're producing like frozen meals for that are you know vegan, gluten free, non GMO, organic. Seven dollars, um, eight dollars, <laughs> yes. nine dollars. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're union busting their workforce of twenty seven hundred employees throughout Idaho, Oregon, and California. Yeah, so yet again we have another food company that talks about how much they care about the the food they're giving you and and people except the people that make the food because right. like this is everything in this story is the same stuff we've heard from food production workers across the country. Like it's labor intensification, no wage raises, and a complete disregard for workers' health. Like uh, j- this one worker sums it up. Like the the conditions they're going through. This is Cecilia Luna o- Ojeda, who's worked for the Santa Rosa factory that Amy's Kitchen runs for 17 years. So she said, "Quote: First, we were doing 21,000 plates in eight hours. Then they saw they could do more." And she points out that 
now every production line makes 25,716 plates of food during an eight and a half hour shift, which works out to each worker is expected to roll 10 to 12 burritos per minute or assemble 72 plated dishes in a minute. That's less than a second per dish. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't, I, I don't understand how that's possible. <laughs> I mean, that's just an insane level of labor intensification. I mean, I get it. Like, if you work someplace for a long time, you can pull off feats like this. But for the company to come in and say, like, everybody must do this. This is the standard. It's like you're you're not just going to see like like your your workers uh, get upset about that condition, but you're also just going to not see the product be up to par. A lot yeah. of the time, because like 72 anything in a minute, unless it's like grains of rice eaten, is insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that that one of the things that's really important about this is that these are in, these are very repetitive motions. You are mm-hmm. not like packing, you know, you know, 40 plates and then switching to burritos, moving over to another station. You know, you are literally doing one repetitive action. You're doing one job, not for one minute doing 72 of them but for eight hours non-stop yeah. like and inc- which causes really serious workplace injuries mm-hmm. yeah like and that's really what's at the core of a lot of the folks that have gotten involved with this union drive like one worker uh ines de la luz described a getting an injury to her arm after repetitive motion where she needed an arm brace and then she goes back into work and her supervisor demanded that she remove the arm brace because it was slowing down her ability to actually work. And she, <laughs> even while she could not actually feel her hand. And she oh. also mentioned, and this was one of the other facets of this, that, that basically when workers get injured, they get sent to this for-profit Concentra workers comp facility. And when she was there, she had gone like back after her initial diagnosis to say, hey, I'm, still, I'm having trouble like, go at work. I can't feel my hand. And he refused to revise the prescription based on her pain because, quote, he was scared of Amy's and Amy's didn't want us to stop working. So you have yourself a company doctor here, classic company town Mm -hmm. style doctor where they get you just well enough to get back to work. Mm -hmm. And that's not an exaggeration. I mean, the, the description here is literally that of a company doctor, one that is paid for by the company specifically just to do the bare minimum in taking care of these employees. Yeah, and like, this is one of those things where inadequate treatment like this, where if you're given just enough treatment to go back to work, but not to permanently recover not given that rest and recuperation and physical therapy time, that can lead to just a worsening or a permanent nature of the injury because like a year and a half after her her initial injury uh, didn't get any better. She wasn't able to get a, a, a revised like prescription. She was forced to keep going to work and, and, and eventually got bad enough that she, she became eligible for surgery to fix her arm because it had gotten that bad. And in response, Amy's fired her. Just despicable. <laughs> and, and she said, like, completely, she said, quote, we shouldn't be living in pain, working in pain, and constantly having pain. We don't want to be treated like donkeys anymore. Damn. And, like, th- like people aren't going to use that sort of language to describe themselves and their coworkers if that's not how they're being treated. Like, yeah, it, 
the picture that is painted by these workers of the environment they're working in, like there's another worker, Janet Barsenas, who talks about having chronic pain in her shoulder and her leg that her doctor has told her will never go away and gave her a note in 2020 after she's, by the way, been working at this factory for 28 years, a note requesting that she be allowed to have a chair while on the line, not even saying she should like, you know, be given rest time, paid time off to recover. Just saying, hey, uh, she needs a chair. <laughs> the supervisor initially said no, telling her, quote, we're not going to just do what the doctor says. We're going to do what we think is best. That's that's just the most insane thing. Like, yeah, we don't, uh, we, we, are, we are the doctors now. And, uh, you know, that guy we pay, don't don't listen to him. He's gonna try to to lower our productivity. That's his only goal, or whatever. <laughs> the fucking when when clearly their goal is to intensify labor and to make these conditions awful, and to to avoid setting the precedent that they will take care of anyone. Because as soon as they have to start <laughs> taking care of people, you know, I guess you know that's that's too much of a slippery slope for them. Well, and these these workers have protested before and even without a union, have won some modest gains. But uh, it seems like the company has figured out ways to recoup those losses because without a union, they'll just charge it to you in healthcare, or they'll just take it out of matching your 401k, or they'll mm-hmm. just take it out of you know whatever benefit they were previously giving you. Yeah, exactly. And... Yeah, and so after, you know, years and years of being treated like this, of, of, of as you said, protesting for better pay and then having, you know, them do a runaround and taking it out of their health care, finally, the workers just said, okay, fine, this is enough. We, ha- we need something better. And so workers, have be- they reached out to the Teamsters to start the process of unionizing. And so it, it's still in the early stages. Like, we're not at election time yet. We're not at a majority of support uh, but they've they've already taken early steps of helping file complaints with Cal OSHA, which you know we as we've talked about many times before. I don't expect they're going to get any sort of any substantial help from Cal OSHA. Like they've the, the articles mentioned that Amy's been cited by Cal OSHA for eight serious labor violations in the last five years and been fined a total of ninety thousand dollars. Damn. Wow. Uh, by the way, Amy's brought in six hundred million dollars in revenue in twenty twenty. So yeah, I love and, buying uh, woke products, though. My God, <laughs> I feel so good when I buy the mac and cheese that has like leaves all over the box and a little bunny <laughs> on it. Warms right. my heart. <laughs> and because these workers are forming a union, uh, this is actually what I was referring to at the beginning of this article. Uh, they have hired two union busting firms. One of them, which really gets me is golden rule incorporated which yep. is if you know the the capitalist version of the golden rule it is he who has the gold makes the rules <laughs> that's correct <laughs> and uh and libra management which is probably some li- li- like probably some liberties thing or whatever or i don't know what it is but whatever uh they this is just your classic uh union avoidance firm that is designed to third party the union say oh they're just there for dues and go over basically all of the things that we just went over at this in the st- or in the um, target story yeah the the one extra wrinkle though to their union busting that i found particularly personally like i mean odious is there was a recent protest this past friday at at the santa rosa facility over the unsafe conditions there and that protest was met with a counter protest from 
other Amy's Kitchen employees who all sudden had managed to, you know, get together all these same Amy's shirts and all these coordinated talking points for the press. And there have been leaks from workers inside the plant saying that, well, the reason that, you know, you suddenly had all these workers showing up to say, no, actually, we love working for Amy's. It's so good here. Is that those workers were being paid to be in no. the protest that. Like, literally, <laughs> Amy's is astroturfing pro-company protests. No way. <laughs> Private companies are doing tiny little color revolutions in their workforces? What? <laughs> it's yeah. just, this shit is so gross. Like, weaponizing the fear that, like, newer employees who haven't been there long enough to really experience years of being ground down to, like, I'm sh- as I'm sure as many of the company sorts like try and do will try and weaponize any sort of division within the workforce. This stuff's fucking gross. Uh, fuck Amy's kitchen. <laughs> um, like I, it sounds like the teamsters are up against an incredibly difficult organizing environment at, at a place like this. So uh, I don't want to be like overly optimistic of short-term victories, but uh, I would recommend not purchasing Amy's Kitchen stuff and telling people about this because one of the things that we have pointed out is that when companies like this try and maintain that sort of fucking bullshit progressive image, they do kind of hate bad PR. And so that's something that I feel like we can help with. Well, and also, like, don't buy Amy's products because, oh, look at me. I'm the fucking millionaire who can afford Amy's (laughs) products. Have you seen how much they fucking cost? It's like $8 for an entree. I could go to a dive bar for the same amount of money. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I would I would be in the frozen section and be like, oh, I would like some frozen burritos. That would be nice. That'd be easy and fast. And I'm like, it's like the reason I never bought Amy's was like before I ever heard about this. I was just like, Jesus, that's a fucking expensive burrito. Yeah, they want three dollars and twenty cents per burrito. Fuck you. How about? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah, anyway, those workers are getting screwed. So I really hope the Teamsters can help them out, and hopefully the you know the 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 incoming uh, TDU aligned. Uh, leadership at the Teamsters mm-hmm. has, has a renewed you know level of vigor for for helping out these workers. But speaking of a renewed level of vigor in organizing, this we got a, our last story this week is about a big uh, rank and file victory for workers in Mexico. And I'll admit this is a story that there have been like lead up stories to it for a few months now, and I've all been a bit hesitant on whether. It was uh, how to understand it because there, if anybody who's listened to our store, uh, my episode that I did up on the AFL CIA, anytime the AFL CIO is supporting a union in another country, I, I just get a little suspicious, but in this case, Fair. this seems to be on, on the up and up. So not going to get into the, what led to this. Basically this, a lot of the problems in Mexican labor arise out of fuckery from NAFTA and, and other trade deals and it pushed by the U S but ultimately <laughs> this is, you know, thanks Bill imperialism. Clinton. Yeah. Like the, the, when the U S after, you know, the seventies and eighties decided to move more and more manufacturing jobs to other countries, a big part of that was moving jobs to Mexico, which, you know, was weaponized by racist movements here. But the pro- again, the problem is not the workers in Mexico. It's that we haven't given them enough solidarity to fight for them to have good working conditions. Right. And now 
the workers at this pl- this plant in Silao, which is in central Mexico, it's a GM facility that makes uh, Chevy Silverados and GMC Sierra pickups, which if you've seen those, those can be pretty fucking expensive trucks. Mm-hmm. And like these, but these folks are only making $25 for a 12 hour shift. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> wow. I, and that's, I, for in case we, let's do a little over $2 an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to make what are often like 50, 60, 70, depending on the options, $80,000 trucks and GM making, you know, 10 billion in profits last year. Yeah. And, and they can't afford to pay the workers a decent wage. Hmm. Think about Yeah. And normally, you know, when we see that sort of situation, we think, well, those workers need a union. And we're, and that's always right. The problem here is these workers theoretically had a union. Oh. The kind that maybe we reported on uh, <laughs> earlier. In yeah. the story of the uh, you know fascistization of uh, or at least the attempt to in the United States of company unions, they had a business union. People, they had a fucking HR department. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. No, that's exactly like from from reading some of the stories about their their now happily former union, the Confederación de Trabajadores Mexicanos, the CTM. Basically, yeah, they'd functioned as an arm of the company. And uh, they had it had served as what what are referred to oftentimes as protection contracts, where it's not a contract to help the workers; it's to protect the business from the workers. Wow! And the Mexico's labor secretary, Luisa Maria Alcalde, estimates that eighty to eighty-five percent of union contracts in Mexico are those kind of bullshit protection contracts, which are signed, you know, without any involvement of the workers, and are as as basically what John was talking about before. When we were talking about like the 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 company unions where you have a couple of bureaucrats who aren't actually workers who organize who who quote unquote negotiate these deals with the company they take big bribes and then the workers get fucked yeah and apparently sometimes this even happens before workers are hired very yeah. much so like a little bit of the labor peace agreements that we mm-hmm. saw uh and we know how we feel about labor peace <laughs> that's right it's one of the worst <laughs> things i've ever heard yeah. of so <laughs> thankfully a couple of years ago back in 2019 there was a reform passed in mexico's labor law which required all existing unions because this got so bad. The Mexican government had to come in and say, okay, fine. All the unions, union workers get to have a secret ballot election to determine whether they want to stick with their current contract or not. And this again, because of the rampant collusion between the, the like labor aristocracy, although I even hesitate to use that term because I don't think the term labor should be associated with the bureaucrats that were signing these and the companies. I don't mean to interrupt, but that's, it just, it blows my mind that, that labor actually would find it in their interest to have to like re-ratify a contract every year when Mm -hmm. it had already been negotiated because that to me in a, in like other contexts is an anti-labor law. But Mm -hmm. in this case, the, the the quote unquote unions are all company unions, right? Well, and uh, Dan, Dan, relevant to the to the phrase labor aristocracy. Every time I hear someone say it, I just imagine the word labor is in alternating capital letters, and then I <laughs> yes. see SpongeBob like <laughs> clucking around like a chicken, and it feels yes. right. 
that that's absolutely the right way to think about it because so there was I will say normally I don't want to have to hand it to the the leadership of any major US union sure but in this case it does seem like the the UAW the AFL CIO and the machinists well actually and the steelworkers all got involved in this process with the aim of actually trying to help out the workers of Mexico, which is a beautiful thing. And they should have been doing this a long fucking time ago. True enough. Um, and so you have had all of these ratification votes. And unfortunately, it seems like a lot of them got through as is. But at this plant in Salau, the workers voted to say, no, we want to throw out that old contract. We want to vote on a new union. And so they had an election where there were four different unions. There was the CTM, two unions that came out of nowhere and were almost certainly created by members of the CTM to muddy the waters. Uh Uh-huh. And a new independent union, the Sindicato Independiente Nacional de Trabajadores y Trabajadores de la Industria Automotriz, or CINTIA, which was formed by workers who were fired by GM in 2019 for refusing to work overtime in solidarity with striking UAW workers in the U.S. Okay. Which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's – so this is the thing. This is one of those cases where I had to – like I was, I was a little suspicious going in, but the more I read about it, I was like, okay – there's the bad side of this election and the good side of this election, and it's pretty clear who is who. And and so, you know, this this was a really big election. There was a, I, I saw a lot of people writing about it, and there was a lot of trepidation because it's one of those things where that sort of labor reform where everybody has to go back in and say, okay, you get a chance to vote. But if there's enough pressure from the existing business union, a lot of these were not gotten rid of and so you can end up not actually getting much benefit from that labor law but in this case the workers came through and were very like pretty explicit that they were they're done with this the trash fake union and the its company policies because you had 88 percent of the eligible voters actually voted in this election and this is like a big plant there's like i think like six thousand workers yeah 6500 workers there and 78% of the voters, again, in an election with four options, 78% selected Cynthia to be their new union. That's what huh. I'm fucking talking about. That's pretty good. I, I imagine these workers might understand their conditions. <laughs> yeah, weird, right? <laughs> yeah, and so, like, uh, Alejandro Morales, who's the principal officer of Cynthia, who, who, wor- who has worked at the plant for 11 years in the paint department, said... Today, I believe we as workers are more united than ever, not only in Silao, but all in all of Mexico. And like, this wasn't just your, you know, your standard, hey, we're all going to have our election and everybody gets a chance to give their speech beforehand. Like, there were attempts like by CTM and the company to like threaten the various officers of Cintia. They had people reported being followed by cars without license plates in the days before the vote. So like, Pretty kudos to these workers tactics. for actually like standing up. Like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it takes real courage to do this kind of stuff. I mean, cars without license plates—that's like, am I going to get disappeared? You're walking down the mm-hmm. street and you're like, oh, yeah. f- fuck, you know? Yeah, and, and I mean, if you if you listen to any of our episodes, like on the repressive state apparatus, it's like that's not like a overly paranoid thing to worry about in like 
anywhere in Central America. Like the U.S. has helped. Like, I mean, fuck what Coca-Cola and like mm-hmm. Nabisco have funded death squads in Colombia. Like that shit happens. Yeah. So like international yeah. fruit now Chiquita. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's it's great to see these workers win, and it was also again, I. <laughs> I was very surprised and, and very relieved to see that, you know, the AFL-CIO, UAW, the Steelworkers, all these folks came out hard in supporting Cynthia and, and came out and, congr- and congratulated them on, on, on their victory and, and tried to help them with their organizing, with resources and stuff. So it's, it's good to see U.S. labor unions actually showing real solidarity with workers in another country for once. Yeah, and uh, speaking of standing up for what's right, let's do the right kind of stand-up by moving over to the meme <laughs> review. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, this first one is uh, a little bit of a respin on something I'd seen uh, before where uh, it is a, you know, one of those those emergency break glass kind of things where generally there would be like a fire extinguisher in there. In this case, there is a slice of pizza uh, and uh, it says management attempting to retain staff uh, break in case of low staffing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. shit, like you want to retain staff. It's the craziest thing in the world to me to buy them pizza. But I guess it's like tried and true. People are unusually influenced by hot food. And I feel like one of the biggest struggles, if you want to help people like grow their class consciousness is that like, Paycheck raises can buy a lot more food. <laughs> it's like yes. that Homer Simpson thing where he's like, money can be <laughs> traded for goods and services. <laughs> yeah. $20 can buy many peanuts. <laughs> yeah. So this next one, you know, it, it wouldn't be a meme review if we didn't have another teenage stepdad joint in here because, you know, it was one of the best in the biz. And this one is, is it's a like, it's like a tag that's on the back of, of, of what would be on a, a pair of jeans. <laughs> and the label, it's got like the Wall Street bull, like, yeah, like goring a cowboy. <laughs> and it just is, it's got abolish Wall Street, get a real job and stop fucking overworking people. <laughs> you parasitic vampire motherfuckers. <laughs> in tiny little text. Right. Yeah. Right. There's also a, a little small text in the, in the O of abolish that says, I don't give a fuck about wall street. Yeah. I mean, th- this is me like, uh, you know, in lieu of any, any real means to abolish wall street, my way of coping with the, having these feelings is that anytime a big line goes down, I screen cap it and I tweet, that photo and i say i god i love it when the big line go down (laughs) (laughs) that's right Uh, and then speaking of things that john loves uh, oh fuck i didn't even see this next meme (laughs) (laughs) i do love this stuff (laughs) yeah go ahead this one's yours all right well we got sonic with his trademark chili dogs (laughs) it's it's not the bag of chili dogs you sometimes see a a paper bag of chili dogs by the way (laughs) one of the the the, you got to have a lot of nerve to have a paper bag of chili dogs. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Sonic is holding his chili dogs and says, Sonic likes chili dogs. And then you have the Ninja Turtles with their pizza and says, the turtles love pizza. And then you have Garfield eating a big old slice, you know, a big old mouthful of lasagna right out of the tray. And it says, but we all know that 
landlording is not employment income. It is investment income. If you rely on stealing your tenant's labor value through rent to survive, you are, you are a societal parasite. Being a landlord is underlined here, not a job. That's correct. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's really true because, um, Everyone's like, well, I called my landlord and he called the plumber. And I'm like, man, you should have just called the plumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you you pay that guy like $700 a month to call the plumber? Like, yeah. I feel like you could do that for a lot cheaper. You pay that guy, <laughs> you pay that guy hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a month to fine you when you don't remove the snow from your sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I you know we just got to thank these cartoon characters for for pointing out these incredibly important facts. I mean, yeah. if if you're not a if you're not a Saturday morning '90s and early 2000s cartoon character, what are you even doing with your life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this next one is this is you know a re, uh, it's a it's a very commonly used format. It's the three panel with the person on the bike. Oh, They're going the, the, along pretty well, and then they get that brilliant idea of. What if I took this stick <laughs> and and put it in the front wheel? This this meme format actually has a name. It's called Oh really? Baton Rue, which is I believe the name of the original comic strip that it is oh. so often spun off of. Because I've had to look it up a bunch of times, and the know your meme page, uh, the know your meme page isn't like guy stick stick in spokes of bicycle wheel like every single right. other know your meme. It's called Baton Rue, which I always thought was kind of cute (laughs) well the first panel on this one is we generated record profits last year good work team and then where he's putting the stick into the spokes is sorry we don't have the budget to increase salaries and then as the person is on the ground holding their knee uh employee retention is difficult in this economy (laughs) (laughs) nobody wants to work (laughs) yeah it's just so wild please congress you need to lower the age limits for how young we can hire people <laughs> and then uh in our last one we got a little bit of a wholesome meme we brought in a nice little wholesome one we got a smiling raccoon face in the top right hand corner of this single panel and then we got a in the bottom left hand corner is the raccoon looking up at the rainbow because there's a nice like open sky as the background <laughs> just beautiful raccoons they're wonderful creatures and it says there is no trash cannot there is only trash can <laughs> <laughs> fucking right <laughs> now that's what i call some revolutionary optimism yeah that's don't, right. don't call yourself a dirtbag left leftist unless you are literally a raccoon <laughs> <laughs> i see you yes, that brooklyn that, that is why that term only applies to slavoj <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we're going to end the episode for the week. I uh, we really want to thank everyone who's a patron. You make sh- this uh, show possible. If you would like any of the overtime episodes, which I mentioned earlier, we did uh, re- unlock one of our Nature of the State episodes in order to get people kind of hyped for the other content that we've got on there. That content can be gotten for $5 a month. Uh, if you can't afford that, jump in the Discord, which is free. And uh, you know, let us know. We'd be happy to hook you up. Uh, leave a five-star review somewhere. Uh, make sure to go and leave bad reviews on places like Amy's Kitchen. Uh, That's right. And that, That's right. <laughs> uh, follow John on Twitter at Facebook Villain. Follow the pod at Work Stoppage Pod. Listen to Beep Beep Lettuce and Red Game Table. And as always, labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity forever.
Solidarity. Solidarity, everybody. Paper bag full of chili dogs. <laughs> <laughs>